This is unstructured. Hey, everybody. Today I'm with Margie Feldhune. Hopefully, I don't mutilate her name. Um, she is a co owner of Interview Connections with Jessica Rhodes. And how are you doing today, Margie? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, thanks for being here. It's really awesome to get a chance to talk to you. I've I've wanted to talk to a booker actually for a while. It, would that be how you describe yourself, a booking agent? I'm not personally a booking agent, but we are a booking agency and we have eight full-time employees who are booking agents here. Now, what exactly is Interview Connections? So we're the leading guest booking agency for podcasters and guest experts. So the majority of our clients are guest experts. They're thought leaders and entrepreneurs who we book on shows in front of their target audience. And then we work with a handful of podcasts as well, finding their guests. Out of curiosity, how many experts do you have? We work with about 100 clients at a time. Hundred? Uh, is it a revolving type of situation where they come in and out? Yep. It kind of depends on their strategy. So we do have a lot of people who will do big bulk packages of bookings for product or book launches. So they'll kind of be there for a few months, do a ton of interviews and then come back like at their next launch. And then we also have people who just, you know, for years have been doing four interviews a month, every month with us. So it just depends on their strategy. Wow. Now, how do they go about finding you or how do you connect with them? Good question. A lot of our clients come by referrals from current clients, which we love. We also, we have very good SEO because one of the benefits of doing so many podcast interviews is there's a ton of backlinks to our website on every show notes page where Jessica has done an interview. So we have very good ranking on Google. And then we also, we go to some conferences and stuff like that as well. And then obviously we get a lot of leads from guesting on podcasts using our own strategy. Okay. And what is that strategy, um, if you don't mind sharing? Sure. So it really depends on the individual and what their goals are for podcast interviews. And that's something that we get super, super clear with clients, even before they sign up and then through our intake process, who their target audience is and what their goals are. So if we have a coach or a consultant who's really just kind of clear cut looking to sign up clients, we'll usually look at hosts who are per their perfect client. And that's going to be a really good connection for them. Their audience is going to be really good for them. Other clients really just want to be everywhere so that when a potential client Googles them, they see that they've been on a ton of interviews. So that can be more kind of quantity where we're just putting them on all types of shows to really get out there. So it depends. It's very customized based on goals. That's interesting. You said, um, first off, about a host being the perfect client. Mm -hmm. Does that occur quite often that the podcast host actually becomes the client? Yes, a lot of the times, because it really is a high-end networking strategy, so getting in front of their audience is always amazing, but that connection with the host we find is often the most valuable. We've had a lot of hosts end up working with our clients or just we becoming best friends with them. We get a lot of messages. Our client Damien messaged us that he's now in a bromance with one of the hosts we booked him on. <laughs> so not a client, but they're best friends, which is just as beneficial. So yeah, we, we have found that. And then we have Chris Daly from Disruptive Advertising is one of our clients. And he says about 15% of the hosts who interview him become clients of of disruptive advertising. So that's been awesome for them. Well, very cool. And I, I love the idea of connecting. That's part of the reason mm -hmm. I do this is to connect with guests. And of course, my range is pretty wide. Mm -hmm. so I have a, yeah. All types. Now, when you are dealing with clients, and I, it sounds like you're focused more on the guest side than the actual hosting side. Mm -hmm. Do you train the guests at all? Um, we do a lot of strategizing with them. And 
um, a lot of our like strategy call work in, during our intake process is sort of like us interviewing them, like hearing their story and their suggested topics and questions and going through that with them. We do, um, our clients tend to be like high six and seven figure entrepreneurs and thought leaders. So they're not brand new to speaking and to telling their story and talking about their business they might be new to podcasting but they don't really they go through an application process to work with us so once we get them they're really ready to go okay how about equipment and things of that sort yeah we definitely do guide our clients if they need help with like the microphones and stuff that we recommend and on rock the podcast which is our company podcast that we've been doing for years we do a ton of information about guesting on podcasts and what equipment to use and and we do a lot of blog posts about that too. Excellent. Now, I definitely want to segue into that. So you do both um, Rock the Podcast and Women's Splaining? Yes. I will get into that. What what frustrations have you found with clients and it could be hosts too in your years of experience now? So what do you mean by frustrations? Like pain points with the process or with just being interviewed on a lot of shows, like stuff that comes up? Yes. Okay. Um <laughs> I think one of the biggest things is that obviously we don't control the shows because we're reaching out to shows to pitch our clients and book them. So we aren't able to do things like streamline every host process. Some hosts want you to fill out some questions. Some hosts want different information. Some hosts want to be on Skype. Some want to be on Squadcast. So we sometimes clients will get frustrated about stuff like that. There's also professionalism definitely varies in the podcasting world. Anyone could start a podcast. So we obviously book our clients on great shows, but some hosts spend a really long time researching and preparing. Some hosts are a little bit more off the cuff. So I would say the biggest thing is the consistency of different shows and kind of having to educate clients about that. Now, do you ever educate the uh, hosts? Because, I mean, we can always use a little guidance here and there. We don't we do when it's our client host we don't do a ton of that um, but it's interesting that you would say that because that's kind of something I've been doing a lot of feedback calls so I've been on the client on the phone with our clients kind of all day every day and that has been something that came up that I thought it might be helpful if we even just did a little infographic of like tips based on the feedback we get from our clients on you know what hosts can do because I know you guys are super interested in streamlining the process and having it be a win-win too absolutely and I'm guessing, too, how do you select your shows? The same way I asked, how do you vet your clients? Mm -hmm. How do you determine that, yeah, we want to work with this show or not with this show? Because I'm assuming your clients pay you. Yes. Yep. So our guest expert clients pay us to get them guaranteed bookings. Um, our process is quite in-depth. First, we do a lot of work with the client, getting super, super clear on what their content is, who their target audience is, and where that target audience is so that we make sure that it's on shows that are going to be a good fit for them. They're talking to the right people, but they're also a good fit for the host. Their content is going to be interesting to them and to their audience. Um, so once we've done all that research with the client, then we go out and research and find a bunch of shows that are going to be a good fit. And then before we pitch those shows, we go through all those shows with the client. So every booking is pre-approved. So every host we're reaching out to, the client has already said, yeah, I would love to be on this show. Okay, good. So you actually listen and vet the shows yourself yes. and also have the clients listen to the show. Yes. Yep. It goes through two stages of vetting to make sure that it's a perfect fit and the client is really excited to be on it because if they don't feel like it's a good fit, we don't, we definitely don't want to pitch them. Good, good. It, it, 
it would be a real bummer to not have chemistry. Yes, absolutely. Now, out of curiosity, there's different levels to different shows, and mm-hmm. I'm sure there's different levels to certain clients. Like, you probably have client, client that. It's a new tongue. I'm just breaking it in. <laughs> you probably have clients who are, shall we say, maybe a little bit more popular, a little more celebrity, or have a bigger presence than, than others. Do you have tiers within your organization and how you pitch and which shows, things like that? So... The short answer is no. Um, We have all of our clients are at a very high level. Um, We have a very high touch service. Um, As I said, we have an application process. So everybody that we're representing is at a certain level. Um, So there aren't tiers. There definitely is variety. They're all very successful in their own right. Some of them might have more notoriety than others, maybe more front facing in their business. So someone could have, you know, an eight figure business, but they haven't really been the face of the company. So the business itself is very successful. They're very successful, but maybe they're not. There's not that name recognition for them yet. So we would need to build that out. Whereas someone who's a really successful, let's say, coach or consultant whose entire business is their personal brand is going to have better name recognition. So we definitely do work with that. But I would say all of our clients are incredibly impressive. I just assume that there's usually there's a different um, level like mm-hmm. not every podcast has the same amount of clout as every other mm-hmm. podcast just yeah. by default yeah there's definitely clients who have more name recognition than others um, but we do also turn away a fair number of clients who we feel like just aren't aren't a great fit for our company to be representing but are still great guests now i've noticed maybe it's one of those things that when you start looking it's everywhere you see mm-hmm. but there's a lot of podcast booking agencies out there and it seems to be a growing trend Mm-hmm. Yes, we've definitely, we were the first one, we've been around over five years. So we've been in the marketplace for a long time. So we have watched a lot of booking agencies kind of like come up. Um, it's cool to see. It's nice to see that it's such a growing market um, and that it's so in demand. Now, are you exclusive to podcasting or you also do radio and blogs and things of that sort? We are exclusive to podcasting. Um, a lot of, we will like pitch to online radio shows if it's a good fit. And some of those are like live radio shows that also go online. But all of, all the shows we're pitching get online at some point. With this being such a growing industry, if you will, mm-hmm. I'm going to guess that not every booking agency is on the same level. I mean, it's possible some may be not as strong or as good. Is there anything that people should watch out for? Um, yeah, I would watch out for, we have podcasts, we have two shows, so we get pitches and sometimes we'll like, not, you know, not to be mean, but sometimes we'll like share a pitch with our team that's really bad and be like, like, this is, this is what we're not doing. So what I would really look out for is, um, like templated pitches, um, I would really be sure that the person representing you, whether it's an agency or a virtual assistant or someone like that, like making sure that they're sending a pitch that's personalized to each show. Because if they're just blasting out a generic pitch, hosts know that it's annoying. Um, So that's what I would say. I would say make sure that your messaging and your branding and that pitch is really on point to represent you because it reflects poorly on you if someone pitches you that way. What would you look for in an agency, if you will? Mm -hmm. A a specific track record, previous guests that they've worked with, things like that. 
referrals. Yeah. Well, I'm super biased, <laughs> but sure. yeah, I would definitely look at who they've worked with. I've looked, I would look at how long they've been around. Um, we also use only in-house employees. We do not use contractors to book. Um, Originally, when the company founded, we did use contractors as bookers for the first few years. And at the beginning of 2017, we switched over to an entirely in-house employee model because we found that, you know, with contractors, legally, you can't train them. You can't set their hours. They have to set their own hours. So in a service-based business that's so client-facing, it's very hard to guarantee a high-level service when you're using contractors. So I think Looking at the way the team is structured is really important. We have, you know, full-time, eight full-time employees who are there, you know, Monday through Friday, nine to five available on the phone. They're not remote. So I think that's super helpful with quality. And it's not to say that everybody needs that, um, but that's something that I think has really helped us level up. And just the quality of the team, I think, is important. So it's enabled you to scale. It's I think less than that, because I think you can scale faster with contractors because your overhead is so much cheaper, but it's Mm. allowed us to, um, it's more about quality control. The type of high touch service that we decided was really important to us to deliver and clients, uh, you know, approving the bookings, making sure every show is a great fit, making sure we have an in-depth strategy before they're even pitched to make sure shows are like a really good fit and we understand their target market that stuff, it was just very hard to keep it consistent um, without having employees. Now to pivot a little bit, because I want to hear both as a booker and you are also a podcaster, Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on the industry? And I ask this because anytime I have somebody from the industry, I've had the anchor CEO on, I've had Dave Jackson on, James Mm -hmm. Cridlin on, I like to corner them and say, where are we going with all this? Mm -hmm. Do you see the problems in podcasting right now that we need to overcome? I don't see any problems. I see a lot of possibility. I think there's going to be a lot of trial and error. It's definitely still growing. And I think it's very exciting. I've heard it described as kind of the Wild West because we are still figuring things (laughs) out. And I think that's what makes it really fun and exciting that we are still all kind of figuring out what the standards are. And I think... It's very popular to start a podcast and a lot of people start one and then kind of fade out. And I think that's okay too. I think I think it's great to see so many podcasts and I think it's great to see so many booking agencies too. I think it's exciting to see new media blowing up like this um, and to see so many diverse voices able to get out there without any barrier of having to like get jump through hoops to get on traditional media. I'm going to push a little bit at it because I always like to bring up the Edison numbers from a podcast movement of this Mm -hmm. year because there's some concerning things in there. Are you familiar with those or were you at podcast movement? I was not at podcast movement. I know Jessica has had another podcast, the podcast producers where they did, they interviewed someone from the Edison research and talked about those numbers. That was not this year though. I think that was one or two years ago. So your numbers are probably more updated. Well, they're off the top of my head. So I'm half making them up as I go anyway. (laughs) My memory sucks. (laughs) But it's essentially, it's based on America. Uh So I want to take out the international aspect of it and focus here. About 68% of people are familiar and know what a podcast is. Mm -hmm. That's great. Good deal. Mindshare. Problems, though. Of that 68%, maybe 40% have actually listened to a podcast in the last month. Of that, 
as you keep whittling down, only like 6 to 8% are actually regular podcast listeners. Now, I find those numbers troubling because you have such a wide variance of the knowledge of what it is and the people who are just not doing it. Mm-hmm. So why, what about that is troubling? That there's not more listeners? That there's familiarity and not listeners, yes. Mm-hmm. What I'm worried about is, um, as I have told Dave Jackson and others, that podcasting may have a reputation of being like Wayne's World, if you're familiar with the movie. Yes. No basic access cable for the radio. Anybody can do it. Yeah. And as Dave pushed back and he's correct, the uh, good news is anybody can start a podcast. Mm-hmm. The bad news is anybody can start a podcast. Mm-hmm. And I worry a little bit about it, that there may be a negative reputation as some of it is being exacerbated by celebrities who are being told by their publicist to start a podcast. They don't put the effort forth. Their shows aren't very good. People go listen to it and they go, oh, that really kind of sucked. And then they get the pushback saying, oh, that's just a podcast. It's not their real art. Yeah. I mean, I am definitely not an expert on stats and listenership in terms of like, you know, the percentage of the population listening to shows. Yeah, I don't I don't feel worried about it. I love podcasts. I think overall I have to spend less time explaining this is totally anecdotal (laughs) no this is great but overall I've noticed that I spend a lot less time having to explain to people what I do even just since like 2016 when I started with this with this company people really couldn't get what was happening and now people are like oh great podcast yeah I listen to this show um so so overall I think I think more people know about podcasts and I'd be, I think statistics can really carry emotional weight depending on how you see them and can kind of skew you in one direction or the other. I would love to see those numbers, you know, compared to the numbers of three years ago, because sure, the percentage of people who know to, to people who listen might be kind of sad, but I do think the percentage of people who listen from previous years to this year, it does seem to be on an increase again, totally anecdotal, but I would be interested to see it that way because I think it would make the same statistic a lot more encouraging. Well, it, you're coming at it from another side. If you are booking more clients year over year, mm-hmm. then that is stating that there are people who see the industry as growing and worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And so that can be a counterpoint or counter argument. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I wanted to have you on here. Now, continuing on the same track, you're a podcaster. Yes. You do two shows. Yes. Now, is that a case of eating your own dog food or <laughs> or are you a fan and wanted to be a producer? What does eating your own dog food mean? I haven't heard that. I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a term used in programming. When you create software or a product, mm-hmm. you need to use your own product. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, how can you have other people do it? That's called eating your own dog food. So. Because you're selling a service, interviewing clients and things like that, and dealing with podcasting, by podcasting, you are actually living that experience. So. Mm-hmm. Sure. So with Rock the Podcast, that show has been around for like four years, just started it. It used to be Roads to Success. Um, so that was more like, I think, a little bit more eating your own dog food type of thing, but also to create content for clients and potential clients that was going to be relevant and helpful to them. Um, and that's really mm-hmm. still what it is. It's not, 
it's not a show that we're trying to get like a huge audience for. It's really just like another way to create content that we can share. We answer frequently asked questions. And then women's planning is really just a passion project. It started out just for fun. We used to do it on Sundays and now we do it during work hours and have it loosely under the umbrella of the business. But it's really not business related. It's it's just for like that creative outlet, which I think is one of the things that makes podcasting so great and so great for business owners because it's so nice to be able to be creative when you're doing a lot of day-to-day and numbers and operations to have that opportunity to just like do something fun and creative is so nice. Well, that's cool. And how did you come into podcasting? Were you a fan to begin with? Not really, no. I um, I had listened to Serial just like everybody else. <laughs> and I love true crime, which is why I listened to it. And then I started off as a contractor agent for Interview Connections and really was not a big podcast listener until I became an agent. And then I was listening to a lot of shows, but they weren't like for fun. It was as research to book my clients. And then I didn't really get into listening to podcasts like just for enjoyment until like the past year or two, I would say. What uh, what changed? Um, I found the podcast that I actually like and it took me a while to like, there were shows that I found interesting and helpful, but it didn't like, I didn't want to binge them. And then I realized that my favorite murder, like comedy crime shows are what I love. And like, I watch a lot of like Dateline and stuff. So it's really in line with the content I was consuming in other places. So when I found that, that's what really like lit me up to want to subscribe and like really keep up on their episodes and stuff like that. So it's, I had to find the right show, I think. Now I, I listened to um, the first episode of Women's Splaining and it seemed like uh, my favorite murder had a real connection with you like it yeah do you want to talk about that at all sure I would love to yeah that's the thing about podcasting that I've really I've had a renewed respect for it since getting into my favorite murder because I do just think I mean it's right it's back to the anyone can start a podcast thing I think there's an aspect of podcasting that is so much realer and more authentic than anything you see in other media and Being able to hear people who were so funny and so open and so honest about their own struggles with like day to day stuff, but also with, you know, mental health and just being able to hear people that I could really relate to when I had never felt growing up like I could relate to anyone like on TV or in movies or anything like that. It was such a breath of fresh air and such a strong feeling of you know, not feeling alone, being able to hear people who you're like, yes, this is me. And to see millions of other fans who also relate to them so closely to realize, to feel so connected with so many people, I think is incredible. What brought you into Interview Connections? Good question. Uh, I wanted to work from home in my pajamas. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, I had just moved to Colorado and I had a background in sales and fundraising job market where I lived wasn't great and I really I had found out about remote work and I was like this is great I want to work remotely I want to set my own hours I don't want to drive in the snow anymore (laughs) and then I was connected with Jess because we worked together when we were like fresh out of college doing door-to-door fundraising for the environment which is like Mm. great entrepreneur training knocking on doors (laughs) and asking for money Um, If you can do that, I think you can do anything. So we were connected via social media 
and actually had gotten reconnected because when my dad died, she adopted his cat in 2015. Mm. And so that's how we started connecting. And because we were reconnected, Facebook was like showing me her posts because they knew we were like talking to each other. And she posted that she was hiring a remote booking agent. And I was like, perfect. Like, I can do this. And that's how it started. And then you just grew within the company and yes. wound up? Um, so I was working remotely as an agent. And then I started moving up that way and was kind of doing more overseeing other agents. But we were all remote contractors at that point. So technically, like no one could be managed, but just kind of overseeing stuff. And then I ended up moving back to Rhode Island, which is where Jessica is and where the company is. And then I became a co-owner at the beginning of this year. Hmm. Okay, excellent. Now, we have a hard out. So to wrap things up, what are you looking for in podcast hosts mm -hmm. to um, work with as a company? And what are you looking for for potential guests? Okay, great. So for podcast hosts, you mean hosts that we would pitch our clients to? Sure, yeah. Okay, so when we look at a show to evaluate, um, we want to make sure that the sound quality is good, that the host is professional. We want to see 40 or more episodes because we have found that if they're around 15 to 20 episodes, they still might fade out. And we definitely don't want like unaired interviews. So once that they pass those tests for sound quality, professionalism, they're established, we look at social media numbers, rating and reviews, um, making sure that the past topics they've done are in line with what our clients' topics are so that it's going to be relevant and good content. And then as far as what we like to work with in terms of hosts we're pitching, hosts who are friendly and who are reliable and who communicate with us, like if they don't want to, you know, if they reject a client we pitch, but they say, but we would like clients who are like this, that's super helpful because then we can tailor the clients we're pitching to them, help them find guests who are a great fit, and we know exactly what they're looking for. So when hosts are communicative, that's awesome. Cool. And the perfect client, or is that a much wider? So our perfect client is um, an entrepreneur um, with a high six or seven figure business. We work with a lot of um, financial business owners, real estate investors, coaches and consultants, and agency owners, I would say are our biggest categories. Great. Now, where can people get a hold of you? We are at interviewconnections.com. And you can also fill out an application, interviewconnections.com slash apply, and I'll email you. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Hey, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much, Eric. This is great. I did not grow up with very much money. Money's energy. Money is something that, that really scares me. You had about 60 grand in debt. Money isn't the answer. Somebody should just give me a lot of money. My dream was to be the WWE wrestler, but you realize that your dreams change over the years. Money's a tool. It's a key to a gate. And at the other side of the gate is the things that you really want to do with your life. It's the things that matter most to you. It's pursuing those values that make you ultimately happy. Listen to Inspired Money at inspiredmoney.fm.